0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head and Shamakar Sandu back in your earphones once again with all the latest news, views and opinions on the wild and wacky world of mixed martial arts. But of course, with a distinctly British flavour. My name is Simon Head. On Skype is Mr. Shamakar Sandu. It is Monday, September the 5th, 2016 and coming up on this week's show. We talk about UFC Fight Night Hamburg. I was over there last week plenty of stories to tell you about fight week itself and of course about fight night as Josh the Warmaster Barnett came out the big winner taking on and beating former UFC heavyweight champion, fellow former UFC heavyweight champion André de Arlovsky. We will then throw forward to next weekend in Cleveland, Ohio and UFC 203 as Steve Miocic looks to successfully defend that UFC heavyweight title for the very first time when he takes on the ring himself, Alistair Overeem. We will then answer your questions as tweeted to us via our Twitter account, at the Pack MMA, and that will be our show. Chamakar Sandu is joining me, as always, via the uh, the magical world of Skype. Sandu, how are you, buddy?
1: I'm very well, Sai. Uh, it's good to speak to you again. And yeah, you were abroad, you were in Hamburg, Germany, I was listening and hearing a lot of Italian voices because I was in Venice, Italy this past weekend. It's a, a trip that me and my wife have been talking about doing for quite some time, about five years in the making, actually. And we uh, we put it on the agenda for 2016. And I have to say, it's, it turned out to be one of our most you know favourite holidays we've ever had. It was beautiful, it was hot, it was 29 degrees every day, clear blue skies, and just going through the canals and rivers of uh, of Venice was just a... a a sight to behold and definitely an experience I'm never going to forget. We, it ended up co- coinciding with the, the Venice uh, Film Festival, which I completely had no idea about. So that was pretty cool, uh, having all the, the stars of Hollywood in town for, for a weekend. And um, lots of gelato was consumed. It was just a lot of pasta, a lot of pizza. It was a lot of wine. So it was, it was all in all uh, a good time in Venice. And it was good to actually completely shut off. Uh, from the world of mixed martial arts. When I mean I went off the radar for three or four days, I went completely off the radar. I literally just logged on to go to the UFC 20, uh Hamburg Wikipedia page on Sunday morning just to quickly scan through the results, uh, which we'll kind of get to later on in the show. Uh, but, yeah, I was completely off, and it was kind of uh, a little soothing for the, for the mind just to kind of step away from the sport that we love and we're so passionate about just for a few days recharge the batteries and then get back into the swing of things uh, which i did today but uh, but yeah it was it was a good trip but i really want to find out about uh, hamburg and germany and how fight week was with you and our you know friends in the in the international media circle um so tell me what was it like for you being a hamburg this week side
0: it was great i've been to germany uh, twice before uh, i went to gaussenkirchen uh, for the world cup where i spent ...a ridiculously over-the-top amount of money... ...trying to watch England v Portugal... ...which was a pointless exercise in the end... ...because I got in... ...we had the worst seats in the house... ...England didn't score a goal and we lost on penalties... ...so that wasn't the best investment of money... ...I've ever made in my life... Second trip was a bit better. ...I went to Berlin for UFC fight night last year... ...and uh, that went pretty well... ...that was a good trip... ...we had some fun over in Berlin... ...and uh, we had some fun over in Hamburg this time round... ...as I say, never been to Hamburg before... The fighter hotel was the Radisson Blue in Hamburg, which I was reliably informed was the tallest, the tallest building in the city. Um, and it was huge. And when I checked in, they put me on the very top floor. So I was on the top floor of the tallest building in Hamburg. So much so that only one of the elevators in the building actually took you to this floor. It was like it was on like the, the presidential suite or something. It was uh, it was just the standard room, but that's where they put me I, I I mean if there'd have been a fire I'd have been toast I'd have been the last one out but it was uh, the views were pretty spectacular and as as for fight week itself mate it was it was good fun you know some of these some of these european fight cards don't necessarily have the same amount of star power as you get over in the states and certainly not on a pay-per-view show but what you do get is uh, you get fighters who are sometimes a little bit more willing to to express themselves and to tell their story and you know, it's an opportunity for them to really raise their profile and get out there. And we saw plenty of that this week. And we saw a few we saw a few bizarre stories as well. There's one that if, if you've been off the grid, you probably haven't picked up on this, but um Peter Sabota is a name that I'm sure you're familiar with and I'm sure that those who've been watching the UFC uh for a few years will have heard his name. He's fought a good few times in the octagon. Um born in Poland uh, and brought up in germany he's effectively got dual nationality and almost every fight week he's asked are you representing poland or are you representing germany and he's grown tired of this he's grown tired of this and uh he's taken radical steps to avoid upsetting one of his parent nations by abandoning both of them um what what he decided to do, and when he when he told us this in, on media day, everyone was just looking at each other. He decided that he, as of this past weekend, he's representing Jamaica, and um, we lovely. were lovely. Yeah, it made you know as, as soon as he said it, we were like, "Did he just say Jamaica?" And we you know we we sort of asked him a few more questions, and you know, turned out he he he's never been to Jamaica. He just he's met some Jamaican people. He loves the reggae music, and um, that for him is enough. And uh, so he's decided to uh, fly the flag. I mean, if you go back on UFC Fight Pass and watch his fight with uh, Nicholas Dalby, and I'll talk to you about his fight with Dalby in a bit, um, when the tail of the tape comes up on the screen, it says, or there's a a flag there to denote the nationality that he's representing, and it's the Jamaican flag. Um, So there we go. So, so, So we did that. And uh, when I interviewed, or, or sorry, when uh, I was part of the scrum, it was actually Louise Green from MMA Crazy who he was talking to when he actually talked about this. And uh, it was in scrum, so I've got the video. And uh, we turned a little video around, and we, you know, we're just uh, sitting in the hotel bar. We're based in the hotel bar to do all our editing and um, kicking a few ideas around. And uh, we thought, wouldn't it be great if uh, we put some reggae music just underneath it? And then someone else suggested you should get bob marley going oh, yeah um at ver- <laughs> at various at various points during the interview so uh, a little bit of video editing from me and uh our our mutual friend abby saban um yes. jumps on the clip and uh uses black belt uh his black belt final cut skills to uh to just make it look a little bit better and uh we had a we had a mini viral hit uh, during a week uh, and uh, Peter Zabotta retweeted it himself, and it became a little thing. It was good fun. Uh, but we had loads of different things happen that week. Um, went round with a selfie camera, got got all the fighters to record selfie messages for the UK fans, uh, which was good fun. I, I know uh, our, our press row colleague, John Morgan, looked at me as if, he, he basically looked at me and said, that that's not going to work. These guys aren't going to do that. I'm like, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll all be good. And... Uh, even, even Andrzej Olowski did it. And Andrzej Olowski... Wow. Um, I'm surprised at that because I've, <laughs> I've interviewed Olowski
1: a few times and he's not the easiest chap to interview, especially to try and get him to do something gimmicky like that. So for him to jump on board with something like that, that's impressive, Si.
0: Well done. <laughs> it was funny. I mean, Alex Gustafsson looked at me like I just handed him a fresh turd or something when I gave him the camera. <laughs> he didn't really know what was going on. He looked at his manager, Thomas, who just sort of nodded at him and said, yeah, just go with it. And to be fair, he did all right. So, but, And we got everybody on media day, with the exception of Tai Hyung Bang, who doesn't speak any English. Um, so right. got all the English-speaking guys on there. Uh, you can go back and check that out. That's, uh, that's that's knocking around. It's on my YouTube page. It's on my Twitter, and it's on, it's on the Sun website. So, so lots of fun and games like that. The City, we didn't get to see that much of because we were just Nose to the grindstone for most of it. We did get to go down and check out the Carnage at the Reaper Barn for one evening. Um, that place is crazy. Um, make sure you've got your cab fare home in your pocket. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. It's like the Cantina from Star Wars, but in street form. It was just it was just one of the craziest places I've ever been. But we survived that and made it to fight night. And uh, yeah, UFC fight night in Hamburg. So. It was a uh, fight week. Was good. We got some good stories. It was all good fun.
1: Well, I mean, when I when I you know looked at the the Wikipedia page for UFC Fight Night Hamburg, uh, I literally just wanted to find out what the results were. Didn't really care about watching the fights at the time. Obviously, uh, since I've been back home, I've had a chance to look at a few of the fights. I saw uh, the main card. Well, I started watching the main card. I haven't finished watching the main card yet as we record this podcast this week. But I saw Sergeant Nick Hine get his hand raised uh, with this decision victory i saw uh, the the highlight uh, performance of uh, of the weekend no doubt with the uh, ryan bader knocking out ilia latifi with almost like an, an mvp michael benham page style knee to the head um i haven't seen any of the other performances yet but just first of all looking at the the, the entire card top to bottom i see a lot of decisions i don't see too many finishes what was the, the reaction like from the crowd in the arena? What was the pace of the entire fight card like for
0: you you know, as a viewer watching Cage Side Side? Well, the pacing of the event was great because it was a fight pass card. So for everyone around the world, obviously in the UK we get it on BT Sport, but it's a fight pass card. That's what everybody else in the world uh, watched this event on. So the, the actual pacing, fight to fight to fight was pretty was pretty snappy you know you know it wasn't a lot okay. of, there wasn't a lot of dead time between fights which was great so from that experience it was it was as good as you could hope for and the fact that we had so many decisions uh and even the finishes that we did have um we had we had three finishes on the card and two of them were in were in the third round so yeah all of the fights actually went a little way before before anything happened so from that point of view, you know, the fact that it was a fast-paced event in terms of going from one fight to the other, that kept it going. If this had been on Fox, um, then you could imagine how, how, how hard going it might have been. So um, just to quickly run you through some of the highlight or the sort of, you know, the main talking points, let's talk about the two British guys first. Uh, Scott Askham took on Jack Hermanson, second fight of the night. And that was one of the fights looking down the fight card that, um, a lot of a lot of us media guys were really looking forward to it. We thought it was a good stylistic matchup. Both really big, rangy middleweight fighters. Both in good form. Ascombe obviously coming off that, that ridiculous head kick knockout of Chris Dempsey at UFC Fight Night in London. Jack yeah. Hermanson coming into the UFC uh, as a Cage Warriors middleweight champion. And on something like an 8-fight win streak. So really interested to see how that fight goes. Askham started the fight very well. Uh, I, th- I-, I thought he won the first round. Hermanson was being very sort of languid and awkward and looked like he was trying to work out Askham's timing, uh, throwing a lot of oblique kicks and lower leg kicks. Askham, meanwhile, uh, was trying to suss out Hermanson and was finding at home for his straight left quite regularly by the end of that first round. So it was all looking good for him. Then Hermanson started to turn up the pace in the second round. Uh, Whether there were any octagon jitters in the first, I don't know, but he looked a lot more at home in the second round. And when the fight was in the clinch, Hermanson dominated the fight in the clinch, through a lot of uppercuts. That was his honey punch, really. And uh, by the end of the second round, Ascom looked pretty gassed out. Physically, he looked superb in fight mm. week. Uh, he looked, you know, there, there, there were Instagram pictures that he took, looking much more lean, much more uh, defined muscular uh, physique. And uh, but for whatever reason, by the end of the second round, he was he was he was pretty spent. And Hermanson won so- it. Hermeson won it down a stretch and and picked up the decision. Sometimes it's not always what,
1: um, you know, sometimes what a fighter looks like aesthetically on the outside can be misleading. It's sometimes more important what's under, you know, and I think the best example of that is someone like Nate Diaz, who maybe on on the outside, he's not the most muscular guy, uh, but obviously we know he's got a gas tanker. He can go, you know, all five rounds, you know, at a pretty high level um but yeah i mean it's unfortunate for scott obviously i haven't seen the fight for myself uh but all all in all um you think that
0: was a a fair decision to go jack's way yeah i do i do i tell you what the last round of that fight was 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 superb i would i'll definitely go back and watch that one um that's definitely one to go back and watch what i would say is if you get to the end of that fight don't watch the next one um (laughs) christian colombo versus charges dano He's up there with one of the worst fights I've ever seen. So so I'll leave it at that. If you want to see whether my assessment matches you know, your assessment of what is a bad, bad fight, by all means, go back and watch it. I'll warn you now, you're not going to get those 15 minutes back. So, sorry, uh, I'll,
1: sorry, I'll take your word.
0: <laughs> Taylor Lapoulos looked very, very good uh, against Leandro Issa. Uh, French, French guy moving his way up the bantamweight ranks. We've seen him a lot. ...on the European shows. He looked very good. Watch out for him. Ashley Evans-Smith against Veronica Macedo. This was an interesting fight. Um, we uh, we spoke with Ashley Evans-Smith in the week. She's a superb interviewee. She's got a really interesting story. Uh, comes across really well. And if she continues to progress, you can see her becoming a bit of a star. She took on Veronica Macedo, who's from Venezuela... She's travelled all around the world. I think she's she was training at a Jan Blakovich's gym, um, in Poland. But she's no way a women's bantamweight fighter. She she's a strawweight, or at best a 125er. But she looked quite good. She you know, she was uh she was throwing some spectacular spinning stuff in the first round. And uh looked really, 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 really exciting to watch. Uh but in the end uh Ashley uh just, just had a bit too much for her. Uh, was just just a bit too big and eventually wore her down and finished it with elbows in the third. Peter Sabatovy, Nicholas Dalby, so the man from Jamaica who's never been to Jamaica against the man from Denmark and uh, another another uh, guy who I've got a lot of time for, Nicholas Dalby, and uh, they so he's really a
1: media darling, isn't he? He's, he's friends with a lot of us in the media. He. He's one of those guys that's really taken to us. And he's actually done a bit of media work as well. I
0: think he's uh, quite the photographer, if I'm not mistaken. He is. He is. And also, he, uh, at UFC 199 in LA, I bumped into him. And he was, wor- he was doing some job shadowing with the UFC. Um, he'd written an email to the UFC to talk about their outfitting policy. Right. And uh, had expressed a few, a few different opinions, given a bit of feedback. And then not, not long after that they invited him to go and shadow the uh the UFC athlete equipment team and he was part of the team that decided what goes into the athlete packs and the kit they That's pretty get cool. the kit they get and all that. And it and he was actually doing that at one ninety nine in LA and I got to talk to him about it then and uh he had a chat with us about it uh, again in uh, in Hamburg. But he's just one of those just nice guys, you know. He's always got time for you, and every sees you in the room, you know. he will always come over and say hello. And uh, it was kind of funny after his fight. We were recording the MMA Roadshow, uh, myself, yeah. John Morgan, and uh, Abby. And uh, me and John couldn't see him. He, uh, we had our back to him, and he came around a corner and he, he, he sort of waved over at Abby, and Abby winked at him. And uh, <laughs> okay. and he tried to wink back, but unfortunately, he tried to wink back. With the eye that was just above the broken orbital bone that he s- that he sustained in the fight, and he suddenly realised, and then just, it was quite a comical moment. But if, he tried to wink back, and he was ah, like, oh, shit, I can't do that. So, but um, and the reason he had a broken orbital bone is that Peter Sabota fought like a man possessed in that fight. I've seen him fight before. I've watched him on cards. I've been there and seen him fight. Uh, I think he fought over in Krakow last year when I was there. Uh, and he may have fought in berlin too and uh but he put in an unbelievable performance he he decked dalby with a with a straight right hand which as 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 dalby told me after in 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 the uh, in the bar that was the punch that broke his orbital and that was in the first round um and then jumped on him and absolutely hammered him and uh you know a good few fighters would have been absolutely finished at that point but dalby is is made a tougher stuff than that somehow survived the round It was a clear 10-8 round so he was up against it for the rest of the fight stayed in there and fought gamely but Sabota was just he you know like when you you play like street fighter or something and you get a power up it it right. it, it was like Sabota was on a power up for the whole fight he was just he just had that little bit extra oomph in all of his punches and on the floor he's uh, he's got he's got very very good very very good control once you get once once he gets to the mat Excellent performance from him. The crowd loved it. Um, Dalby Dalby took it took it on the chin and was very philosophical about it afterwards. You know he's, you know he spoke to us in the bar and held his hands up and said, you know the other guy was better than me today. What well, you know, what can you do? Um, so uh, looking forward to seeing both of those guys fight again. And then the uh, the featured premium card was uh, Jim Wallhead. long-awaited UFC debut against uh, Yesinaiari who is a German prospect who trains out of Peter Sabata's gym. Really nice guy. I spoke to him on, uh, on, on media day. Again, someone very, very articulate, excellent English, uh, puts himself across very well and was almost apologetic that he was fighting an English guy when I was talking to him. So, so, uh, it was kind of funny, but, um, I think Jimmy Wallhead got stitched up slightly because the judges gave it, uh, as a split decision to Iari, uh, 28-29, 29-28, and 30-27. Now, I scored this fight from Octagon's side, and I gave it to Warhead by 30-27. to 27. I gave him all three rounds. Our buddy John Morgan was sat immediately next to me. He scored the fight 29-28 uh, to Ayari. So that tells you how close the rounds were, because they were they were close rounds. Ayari spent the whole fight backpedaling and counter-striking. Warhead was pushing the pace to me, was landing the more decisive shots. Um, and I thought Ayari's best round was the last round. Also, Wallhead dropped Ayari in the first round and the last round. Um, and one judge didn't give him a single round. So I, I think he got very harshly dealt dealt with by the judges. Uh, ben Cartledge, I believe, gave gave the fight to Warhead 29-28. Um, so I think he got a little bit harshly dealt with. I think if the scores had all read 29-28, then you can say fair enough it was a tough fight to score but that 30-27 shouldn't be on that scorecard that was ridiculous so you know it was his UFC debut Um again he was great to talk to during the week and uh I bumped into him probably two or three times around around at about the uh the fighter hotel during the week and he was he was all, always had a big smile on his face really really relishing the whole UFC fight week experience and looking forward to getting in there uh, getting in there and competing but I think he got slightly harshly dealt with. I think he should have had a win, but fingers crossed we see him back in there soon. You know, maybe, maybe that Belfast card will have a slot for him. Fingers crossed.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Waller is 38 years old, so I thought him getting to the UFC at this stage was almost um, like Leonardo DiCaprio finally getting his Oscar uh, after being nominated so many times. He's been close, um, but, yeah, I don't think he should take... Um, to you know, take the loss too much, you know, to heart too much, especially if uh, you know folks like yourself in the media are you know are openly kind of publicly stating the you know your opinion that you scored the fight for. Him. I mean, aside from yourself, was there anybody else in the media that also scored
0: it for Jim apart from yourself? Most of my timeline was saying Warhead won the fight, and I think the MMA decisions website someone showed me a grab from that, and I right. think all of the people, almost all the people on that had Warhead winning the fight. So. It's yeah. one of those you know you win some lose some when the when the rounds are close and when when the styles involved are are very very different, sometimes you do get these 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 strange uh sort of scoring discrepancies so um I don't think he should feel too bad about it. I know afterwards he was saying he was disappointed in his own performance um he was iari was a very tricky customer uh, there's no doubt about that but i thought Warhead had dealt with him well enough to win the fight so you know fingers crossed we see him back in there soon uh, i certainly certainly hope that this isn't his only his only appearance in the octagon you know i think he's he's definitely worthy of another go and as i say i think that that fight card in belfast to me would be the obvious you know the obvious place to do it so fingers crossed the uh, he, he gets himself another fight as soon as that was our preliminary card. So we have got the main card. You mentioned Nick Hine earlier. Uh, yeah. it, it was a pretty workmanlike performance from uh, from Sergeant Nick. It wasn't it wasn't the spectacular performance I think he was hoping for against Tai Hyung Bang, who's a very durable guy and is, is is more than happy to get involved in a slugfest. I think Nick was very wary not to get dragged into that, um, and uh, did a very good job of outpointing him. He beat him. Uh, 29, 28, 30, 28, 30, 27. So, you know, he wasn't in any real danger in that fight. Won it relatively comfortably. The interesting thing from Nick is he's now relocating to Los Angeles, um, and he's training. He started training with uh, Anthony Hardonk and uh, so we can expect to see some some improvements in his in his, in his uh, kickboxing game in particular moving forward. I think, um, and you know, a win on home soil for him was was an important one for him. But really the the fight card really kicked off with the you know, those last three fights. They really saved the card as a spectacle. Ryan Bader, Even just name value, those
1: three fights are the ones that jumped out to me just leading up to this fight card in the first place. I mean Ryan Bader, Latifi, Gustafson Blakovic and Barnett Olovsky. Big names, marquee names, uh, interesting guys. Especially when you look at Gustafsson Latifi, and um, I'm sure they brought uh, you know a fair amount of Swedes with them um, to to Hamburg. Um, but yeah, I mean, those were the fights I was most looking forward to um, leading up to the to the actual card itself. And did they did they deliver?
0: Yeah, they did. I mean, you you know, your point about the Swedish fans. It's worth mentioning this actually. The event was a sellout, and it sold out quickly. Um, but we were told uh, James Elliott told me uh, in the week. of all the tickets sold for that event were sold to addresses outside of Germany. And Mm. um, judging by the arena and the atmosphere in there, I reckon the vast majority of that 30% were from Sweden because it was like a home game. Um, When Latifi walked into the Rocky theme, as he likes to do. I still think he should walk out to Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel, but I don't think... (laughs) uh, But There you go. I don't know. I mean, JDS uses the Rocky theme. Latifi should... He's a Sledgehammer. Walk out to Peter Gabriel. Anyway... Simon, (laughs) way too many fighters use a Rocky theme. Retire it already. I don't want to hear it anymore. Well, one... I think there should be a rule. I think you should have... Only one fighter should be able to use that theme tune. Otherwise, what's the point, right? Have an individual identity. Anyway... Latifi anyway. walked out and got a huge pop from the crowd. Beta nice. came out uh, to a far superior walkout song, painted black by the Rolling Stones, and got booed almost out of the building. Um, so the Swedes were repping strong. You know, they they, they turned up in their droves and uh, and, re- and really made some racket. That fan support counted for NAFOR when the fight started, obviously. So, um, you yeah. know, Latifi actually started really well. Um Oh, this the... is one of the fights I've actually seen.
1: Yeah, uh, I, literally, I literally just watched it um, uh, a couple of minutes before we jumped on uh, on the, on the Skype machine, and um, and yeah, I thought I thought the first round Latifi um, did all right. You know, um, you know, it was a pretty even even first round. I thought Latifi had his moments, especially up against the cage and in the clinch, and you know, he, he landed a few shots on Ryan, but Ryan you know also um, landed a few shots on Latifi, but. It was all about that one moment in the second round, about two minutes in, where, and Atifi, I saw him doing it quite a bit in the first round, where he was kind of like almost crouching or ducking his head or, or like going low. Uh, maybe perhaps he was doing that to, you know, avoid the takedowns from Ryan. And he did he did a pretty good job in the first round, of, you know, with his takedown defense. But I think that might have been a maybe even a setup, or maybe that's some sort of corner advice that Bader got from his cornerman that, look, the Tiffee is ducking his head. You may want to just throw a knee and see what happens. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, the teefeee ducked down, maybe perhaps going for a takedown or just you know ducking down to kind of get a body shot in. And as soon as he did that, Ryan Bader just lifted his knee at the, at the same time. His knee just landed flush on the Tiffee's chin, and the way the te his body just flipped back, it's reminiscent. Of um, I don't know what which pay per view card it was. It was Jose Aldo versus Chad Mendes. When Jose Aldo landed at knee, and and Mendes' body just spasmed backwards and landed, head rocking on the ground. That's exactly what it reminded me of. It was that's a brutal knockout. Definitely the highlight knockout um, of the fight, and probably will be up there uh, for 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 the best knockouts of the month.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I I likened it to that very same knockout on uh, on the MMA Roadshow. I said. It was just a, he didn't so much fall backwards as fly backwards. It was it was it was quite spectacular to watch. It was also a little worrying, obviously coming so close after the the Michael Venom Page knockout. Um, yeah. And just a very very quick aside: Michael Venom Page was there all week this week. Um, yes, with Judo Jimmy. Yeah, and uh, I had a chance to have a have a couple of quick chats with him, and it was kind of interesting. He was in Judo Jimmy's corner, so we had a mm. we had Bellator's. Uh, Michael Venom Page standing there fully bedecked in Reebok fight kit and uh wow and uh he kept his he kept his hood on for the whole thing presumably to make him look less conspicuous but if anything it made him look more conspicuous because who wears the hood on a Reebok hoodie but there's <laughs> just an interesting little side note yeah Michael Page in full Reebok UFC gear but um yeah that 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 Latifi KO was 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 as brutal as it was scary as it was spectacular and it was it was very encouraging and 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 good to see Latifi when he you know when he eventually recovered leave the octagon under his own steam and walk past us on press row, um, pretty much under his own steam. So um, that's good to see. Yeah, and a, and a big big win for Ryan Bader, who I think gets a bit of a bum deal in that USC light heavyweight division. To think that he hasn't been given a chance yet uh, with the amount of people he's fought and the amount of people he's beat. Um, Surely that ladder's got to have a chance at some point. We can't just rotate these guys at the top and keep everybody out. Bader's the next, you know, Bader's the next best guy. Bader reminds me a lot of Bisping. He gets he get, he gets a couple of wins
1: together, and then he gets a big big marquee fight, um, and then that could potentially get him a title shot. And then he just doesn't uh, you know, clinch the deal. Like I remember the the Machida fight he had, um, which he. Which he lost. Then uh, he won against Vladimir Matyanchenko. Then he lost against Glover Teixeira. Then he got this amazing five-fight win streak right up until he came up against Anthony Johnson. And let's face it, outside of maybe you know Daniel Cormier and John Jones, Anthony Johnson is probably the third best light heavyweight in the world anyway. So, so yeah, I agree. It's good that you know Bader, you know, got back to winning ways. And um, obviously, we're going to go th- to the next couple of results from the card, but. Perhaps um, you know a fight with Gustafson might be on the card somewhere down the road, and maybe that's a nice segue for you to let me know and let the listeners know what you thought of Gustafson's performance because he beat Jan Blakovic.
0: He did beat Jan Blakovic, but he needed to change his game plan to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I spoke to Gustafson in fight week, and he told me he was gonna he was gonna put Blakovic away quickly. He said, "But he, he, I think I think the phrase he used was a fast knockout." He said, "This is gonna be a fast knockout." And uh, the way he started that fight was as if he was going to get a fast knockout. He got straight in the pocket, stayed there, and threw leather. Unfortunately for Gustafsson, Blažević took everything Gustafsson threw and gave him a little bit more back. Um, and Blažević absolutely rang Gustafsson's bell on more than one occasion. And we were watching the fight and you know talking about it from press row, saying Blažević looks good. He look he looks seriously good in the, in, in the stand up. And he was winning the stand-up exchanges, uh, which would have surprised quite a few people. Um, and uh, it got to the stage where I think Gustafsson's corner just started hollering at their man, take him down, take him down. And uh, eventually, eventually Gus took that advice, took him down. And at that point, the skills gap suddenly got much bigger. Gustafsson on top of uh, Blachowicz on the mat was a completely different ball game. Uh... The the uh, the Polish light heavyweight guy had absolutely had nothing on the floor for uh, Alex Gustas, he tried to wriggle his way out of position, tried to sweep, um, but uh, Alex was just just had more than enough control, uh, and pretty much for two rounds. I think I think Blavich probably won the first round, um, but um, or certainly came close to it. It was one of those he almost nicked the first round. Probably Gus probably got it, but Blavich certainly came close. Um, rounds two and three though Gustafsson sort of went to his wrestling took him to the mat and uh ground out a three-round decision in the end so it wasn't the wasn't the highlight real return that I think he was hoping for and um, I
1: think for Gustafsson though I think the most important thing was just to get a back in the win column I think um it was the right decision from the UFC matchmakers to maybe get his competition pegged down a little bit just slightly in Jan Blokovic, I think that was a, it was a good fight for him to take. It was not a main event, it wasn't a title fight, it wasn't in Sweden, so there was no external, you know, real pressure. It was all about him having a good camp, getting in here uh, in Hamburg, getting back to winning ways, and it just gives him something to build on now. Whether it's, you know, uh, depending on what happens with John Jones, um, whether it's a, a rematch with John Jones for the interim title. Um, I, I, I mean, as much as I'd like to see that fight, because the, the their first fight is my favorite, one of my favorite fights, if not my favorite fight of all time. Uh, but I think it might be a good idea to perhaps, um, keep building Gustafson up. Maybe the beta fight, maybe somebody else in the light heavyweight division. Um, but if you're, you know, Joe Silva before he leaves, uh, and Sean Shelby, Simon, what would you do with Gustafson next?
0: Well, if you're looking. To me, there are two there are two fights that stand out, um, and neither of them are fights that you would say you would build Gustafsson towards a title shot. There are if you win them, you get one. Um, one of them is Ryan Bader, and but and that, that that will be my backup option. I would I would I would use Ryan Bader as my backup option. The fight that I would give Alexander Gustafsson next is John Jones. That's the fight I would give him next um, because John Jones we think is going to receive a suspension but we also think it won't be a particularly long one. We have a, just talking around our colleagues in the media and talking to a few people. It, the impression that I get is that there's going to be some sort of some sort of suspension here for John Jones, but it might well be along the six to nine month uh, line. Now, that being the case, I think that's perfect. Then you do Gustafsson versus Jones 2, with the winner taking on the the winner of the john jones sorry the uh, daniel cormier uh rumble johnson fight which has to happen next in my opinion so that's what i would do if jones uh is rendered unavailable for a longer period of time than that then you go to ryan bader um and the winner of that gets the title shot next so that's what i would do i think i think there's a a clear pathway there um
1: Let me throw an an idea your way, right? Go on. So UFC 200 um, took place on July 9th, right? Yeah. Now, if John Jones gets, say he gets a six-month suspension. It'll be
0: retroactive.
1: It'll be be retroactive back to July 9th, which would mean he'd be eligible, if I'm not mistaken, and my math is right, he'd be eligible to fight on December 10th in Toronto at the Air Canada Centre. Can you imagine if that's what happens? You get six months, the UFC put Gustafsson Jones 2 for the interim title back at the scene of the crime, so to speak, back at the same arena where they first fought. Wouldn't that be some some, some sort of
0: poetic justice in regards to the rematch? What do you think? I think it sounds awesome. I think it sounds yeah. awesome. And if you consider the fact that that would probably be the co-main event. Yeah, uh, that would because... be a stellar co-main event especially if, uh, you know, the rumor
1: mill is about GSP returning. You put him in the main event. That would be an amazing one-two combo for the UFC to kind of really give Canada and Toronto a stellar card with GSP's return and then Jones Gustafsson too. That would be amazing.
0: It really would. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. I think we're going to see a big end to the year in the UFC. They've got that big show in Toronto. Then they've got the the end of year show in Vegas on December the thirtieth. I think they're gonna, plus of course you've got Madison Square Garden on November twelfth. So I think we're gonna see three stellar lineups for those three those three cards as the UFC really looks to stack the deck to round out twenty sixteen. And rounding out the main card in Hamburg, we had a battle of two former UFC heavyweight champions, Josh the Warmaster Barnett taking on Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky. Uh, this fight split the media right down the middle when we were, when we were picking our picking our potential winners for this one. Um, I'm going to go out there because you know sometimes you just got to blow your own trumpet. I predicted this. I, pre- mm. I predicted Josh Barnett submission third round, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I, I, I figured that he would he'd have to weather. Another... I hope you let I hope you let Abby and John and everyone know that you got that right. <laughs> Two flipping right, I did. Yeah it was on the MMA junkie predictions and almost as soon, I think as soon as Buffett had said, uh, two minutes, 53 seconds of the third round, I elbowed John and said, I'll pick the third round and then just, <laughs> and then just carried on. But, um, but yeah, so just by now, he had to weather the, uh, an early storm from Arlovsky. The first 60 seconds of that fight were just like rock and sock and robots. It was crazy. And, uh, they both dropped each other to, it, uh, within the first 30 40 seconds of the fight, just sort of they both ended up having to take a knee uh, and then jump back up in this wild exchange of strikes that they were throwing at each other. And then it gradually settled into some sort of pattern. And uh, basically, what happened, Barnett just used that old school catch wrestling, uh, got the body lock on Arlovsky, got him against the cage, wore him down, and just emptied that gas tank. And by the end of the second round, Um, Arlovsky, he was gone he was absolutely gone, he had nothing left in the tank Barnett had just completely crushed it out of him and then uh, in that third round uh, Arlovsky uh, there was one moment actually, it happened right in front of us Um, Barnett hit Arlovsky with an uppercut and when you're sitting this close to the octagon, this is the sort of thing you don't see when you're watching it on TV Um, he hit Arlovsky with an uppercut and Arlovsky's eyes just completely rolled back in his head. He was out. He was out mm. like a light, but it was for like a split second and as his eyes rolled back, he took a half step back and then blinked and his eyes were looking one way and the other. You know, one, you know, his eyes one eye was looking at the door, the other eye was looking at the buffet, you know what I mean? It was, you know they're all over the place. Yeah. And then it was like a almost like a click of the fingers and then he came flying forward and hit Barnett with like a three punch combo and then he was back in the room again. It was nuts. So, uh, but just after that, he, he caught Barnett in the eye with a thumb and Barnett turned away and started walking away from him and I thought, oh, blimey, this fight's over. Ref's going to stop this. This is almost like a verbal submission. Arlowski just chased him and started landing shots on him and then somehow Barnett managed to turn around recover, get aloski to the floor, soften him up the ground and pound and his coach were hollering at, uh, hollering at him to just keep pushing the pace. They were saying, you know, keep, was it something like put the pressure on and he'll quit, put the pressure on and he'll quit. And eventually Arlovsky gave up his back. And in the end, it was a very quick tap when Barnett put the rear naked choke in. So a uh, huge win for Barnett. Uh, Arlovsky drops another, another, uh, another defeat. Um, he was very magnanimous afterwards, but obviously very disappointed. Um, but it was a, it was, it was a good way to, uh, to, to finish the night. We had a lot of decisions and not all of them were fantastic. Some of them were good. Um, but uh, we needed a little bit of a little bit of a wow moment uh, to really give the fans something to walk away with, and we had that with Ryan Bader. The Swedish fans went home happy with the Gustafsson win and uh, the, uh, the Barnett arlovsky fight. Uh, not not the most polished fight you'll ever see in the world, but it had plenty plenty of fun stuff to keep the crowd amused, and uh, we had a, we had a, a submission finish from the War Master. So all things considered, it all finished on a on a high note. Well, you know, Sai,
1: every time the UFC comes to Europe, you know, whichever country it's in, we're we're always, you know, one of the the big questions in the post-fight press conference from the local media is when are you coming back? When are you coming back to our country? And, you know, the UFC's made a pretty big commitment over the last three or four years to Germany specifically. So what was James Elliott telling you and the rest of the media with regards to uh, the success or, or what this... Event particularly meant for them, uh, breaking further into the mainstream in Germany. Uh, and perhaps, did you get a chance to speak to our friends over um, in G- Ground and Pound, who are the local, uh, the top local um, media in Germany, with regards to how this event was uh, taken by the German fans versus perhaps past events?
0: Yeah, I, I had a chat with uh, Florian from Ground and Pound. We're just talking about the fights mainly, but the big thing about this event was it was a return to free to air tv this was the first free to air tv fight for about 4 years i think uh under okay. this under this new deal with ProSieben. and i know there's been a lot of uh there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes to to actually achieve that and get the get the UFC back on free to air tv i know some of the stigmas that we've had to fight against here in the uk are still very much uh, present in germany and uh you know they're looking to break the barriers down there so so to actually get the event on free to air TV was 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 a huge a huge win for the UFC, and I'm sure they'll be back in Germany again in 2017. You know the crowd were excellent, the uh, the um, the facilities were amazing, the arena was great, everything about it from a, from a logistical point of view uh, went off without a hitch, and uh, we had we had an event that the fans went wild for. You know they loved it. The uh, the actual actual fans in the building were very knowledgeable yeah they booed some stuff but they booed when stuff deserved to be booed you know um right and uh they were they were very uh appreciative of uh of 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 skilled moments in the octagon as well so um it was it was it was a really good experience actually being over there in hamburg the fans were great uh the city was great and uh fingers crossed well, put it like this, I don't think this will be the last time the UFC are in Hamburg. I think I think we'll see the UFC back in Germany again next year. Whether they return to Berlin or whether they go for, for Hamburg, uh, Hamburg again uh, remains to be seen. But um, I do think Germany is a big, important market for them, for sure. Well, I
1: guess what's exciting uh, is that we're coming up to the final quarter of the year and we still have a couple of events in Europe and they're going to be a lot closer to our neck of the woods. With regards to to Manchester and Belfast, and and I, and I like since the UFC's uh, European office was created uh, in in London, and they've got this team, um, I'm just I'm just happy that there's been a certain level of consistency. Every year, you know, in Europe, you're going to get five, and if you're lucky, six events, um, and a lot of those events have been in markets that the UFC have steadily grown. Uh, they keep coming back year on year. So the local fans know that at least they can expect um, a UFC event either in their own backyard, in their country, like in England or in Ireland or in Germany or somewhere that's fairly close by uh, where it's pretty easy to get to from all parts of Europe. Um, Rotterdam comes to mind. You know, everyone uh, in the UK knows how cheap it is from our point of view to kind of get to the Netherlands. You can drive there, you can fly there, you can get a, a ferry or a boat there if you want to. Um so, so it's all good. Um, you know, that's that's what we need. And now that we've got Bellator also making waves, they've had two events in Europe this year, one in Italy and one in London. It's just it's just there's more events to cover, there's more exposure, there's more opportunities in the media, um, which is this is all positive from all from all you know, from all concerns.
0: Absolutely, and I think what we're gonna have obviously the pinnacle of the sport, the really, really, really big fights are gonna be more and more likely than not happening uh over in the us or you know with the occasional fight in canada and with the occasional fight in brazil because it fits their time zone you know pay-per-view is such an important market for the ufc of course it's very hard to break away from that but they've they've experienced sorry they've experimented with shows over here in europe 204 is obviously an example of that and uh it'll be interesting to see what the reaction is and how well ticket sales go I think ticket sales will go very well. I think they'll go I think the tickets will go very quickly. Um they've been very competitively priced. Uh, I think the top price tickets 200 quid which for a UFC show is almost unheard of. So um so that's certainly for for you know for a show of this scale. So fingers crossed there'll be a big response to that. And we do start to get you know one or two more of the you know the larger shows. I mean the fight nights are great fun. I thoroughly enjoyed them but the fans still want to see the big superstars and to maybe be in a position to actually put on some of those, those big fights further out across the world rather than just in the US would be good to see. Now, that was UFC Fight Night Hamburg, uh, all wrapped up. Um, but of course, we've got another event coming up around the corner, which is obviously UFC 203 in Cleveland, Ohio. And we have got some big names on this card, Sandy.
1: Yes, we do. And I think you mentioned it earlier, Side the UFC have got some big cards coming up to, to finish the year strong. And I think it really kicks off um, with UFC 203. Who doesn't like a heavyweight title fight? We've got Steve Miocić defending his championship for the very first time against Alistair Overeem, Overeem who's been a dream champion, force champion, Pride champion. He, needs, he wants this um, one championship uh, with the UFC belt just to kind of finish the collection. And that will be, you know, a legacy that every fighter would dream of having. Um, that headlines the card. Um, and I think we spoke about this off air, but I think the three fights we really want to focus on and talk about, aside, obviously, with the main event in Miocet and is, you know, CM Punk, pro wrestler, making his professional mixed martial arts debut at the very top level in this game at the, for the biggest promotion, the UFC. He takes on Mickey Goll. And then for a local flavor for our British listeners, um, Scotland's Joanne Calderwood gets a main card fight against Jessica Andrade. Um, I think Calderwood in the last couple of fights has really kind of turned her her career around a little bit. She's been a little bit more smarter um, with her skill set. She's getting better as a fighter, um, and she's most importantly um, getting some wins under her belt now and getting a a run put together, which is really important for her confidence. Um, But Let's start right at the top side. Stipe Miocic, Alistair Overeem. It's in Cleveland. It's what Miocic wanted. He wanted to you know defend his championship for the very first time. Much like how Bisping is getting the opportunity to defend his championship uh, in Manchester. But we don't see the heavyweight championship stick around these heavyweight fighters t- for too long. It is like uh, the hot potato uh, of the UFC. Um, do you think Miocic can get it done? Or do you think we're going to forget... Yet another brand new UFC heavyweight champion comes out tonight.
0: I think he's going to hang on to it. I think he's going to hang on to it now i've got a I've got a lot of time for to over him. I think uh he he's going to go down as one of mixed martial arts legends because he's a guy who has lived through a number of eras of mMA and has competed on a number of different promotions and has been a superstar attraction across all of them and has been a champion that one Accolade that is missing from his career is the UFC heavyweight title, and he's now got an opportunity to win it. Uh, he's incredibly focused, and I think he's got all the skills to win it. But having said that, I just think Stipe is just a bit too tough, hits just a bit too hard, and I think if you stack up their skills against each other, I just think Miocic is superior in the key areas, which is wrestling. And when it comes to punch power and punch resistance. I think uh, those those three aspects are going to be effectively what decides this fight. I don't see Overeem knocking out Miocic with one shot. I can see Miocic knocking out Overeem with one shot. I don't see Overeem taking Miocic down and submitting him. I can see Miocic taking Overeem down and smashing him a ground and pound. So weighing it up head to head, while Overeem is ridiculously skilled um, and has the ability to end fights, I just think Miocic is just a little bit too strong uh, and will be able enough to keep the fight standing um, and I think he'll win the fight, I think he'll win it most likely by stoppage because that's how these heavyweight title fights tend to finish but um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Ream does it um, and I'd, be, I'd, I'd obviously be happy for him if he does do it he'd be the second British born UFC champion by the way If if, if he did it, and uh, yes, technically, yes, but he's as Dutch as they come. Technically, technically, he'd be the first UFC champion born on British, uh, born within the borders of the United Kingdom because Michael Bisping was born on a Cypriot uh, airbase, I think, if that's right. So So, that's
1: uh, how desperate we are to try and get as much local uh, (laughs) claim. FC
0: Championship belts. This is the Brit Pack you're listening to. <laughs> yeah. So, but that would be that 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 is an unescapable, irrefutable fact. So I'm putting it out there. Um, so I do hope if he wins, he flies the, uh, the you know the Union flag and, and proudly reps reps the country of his birth. But anyway, back to the plot. I think I think Miocic might just be a little bit too strong for him on this one. Um, two two good guys uh, who I've had the chance to s- chat to. At various events, and uh, you know, two guys who, you know, you as someone who's actually spoken to them, you sort of, you sort of wish success upon them because they come across really well, and you know, they're good people to talk to. They've always got time for you. So, uh, you know, whoever wins it, you know, it'll be, it'll be good for either one of them. But I think, I think Miocic, I think this is his time right now, and I, I genuinely believe he is the best heavyweight fighter in the UFC. So, I think this is the time for him to really cement that and uh, defend that title. And uh, the fight I want to see in 2017 for the title is Stipe versus Kane Velasquez. That's the fight I really want to see. I think that would be an absolute barn burner. And I think the winner of that will really be the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world.
1: Well, you definitely make a very compelling case and argument as to why uh, Stipe Miacic could win. Uh, and, it's, uh, and it's one that's kind of hard to argue against. I have been kind of going back and forth on this, and I think I'm just fifty-one percent in favor of Overeem going into this this week. And, and again, that might change come fight night. We'll see. You know, you know how, how these guys talk and what they look like um, as the week kind of progresses in Cleveland. Um, I just I've got a funny feeling that this is just Overeem's time. You talk about you know it being Miocic's time. I think for Overeem, when he came into the UFC. You know, he was carrying a lot more muscle. Um, He was, I think, relying a lot more on his pure striking ability. And what I've seen in his last two, three, four performances is a much more mature over him. I think the move over to Jackson Winklejohn has benefited him tremendously. I think he's more strategic. I think um, he's got more of a game plan. He sticks to the game plan um, a lot more than he perhaps used to. He, I think he saves a lot more uh, in his gas tank. I think he doesn't kind of exert in his entire energy uh, in the first few minutes, perhaps like he used to uh, in his in his earlier days. Um, and I think if you are um, going to try and get um, a, the the best type of matchup uh, for Overeem, um, you know, I know some people might think that um, his chin, chin, you know might have gone with some of the the losses he suffered via via knockout. But I think people forget he comes from a K1, you know, kickboxing background. You know, he can strike with the best of them. And at the end of the day, these are 250, 260, you know, and come probably fight night, you know, 275, 280-pound men who are going to be swinging and trading leather like no business. So I think there's something in the air about... Um, not being able to get a victory over it in, in your in in your own backyard, and I mean Mitojic beat Verdum in Brazil, so perhaps history will repeat itself, and uh, and Overeem can beat Mitojic in his own back uh, back uh, back garden. Yeah. Um. But but uh, but yeah, I'm just slightly leaning towards Overeem, but like you, I wouldn't be
0: surprised if Mitojic won. Yeah, and. Uh... I've just gone on Overeem's Wikipedia page just to take a look at his fight record. And somebody, very subtly, has uh, has changed his place of birth. Um, so it, oh, really? Yeah. It now says that he was born in Liverpool, Merseyside.
1: <laughs> well, I can tell you right now, he wasn't. He was he, he, born in I'm Hounslow. Sure.
0: He's
1: Hounslow, in... which is literally... The, the town over from where I live. Yeah. Literally a stone's throw from where I live in, in West London.
0: So this is a little game for everybody out there to play, is to see in the coming week, who is reporting that he's, uh, from Liverpool. And, uh, when you see that, you know that they do all their research on Wikipedia. Um, so that'll be interesting to, uh, just to see who out there suddenly starts reporting over him as being a, being a born and bred scouser when, uh, He's actually from he's actually from Hounslow. So, uh, yeah, just saw that and it made me grin. So I thought I'd, I'd drop that one in there. It's a fascinating heavyweight heavyweight title fight. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a cracking fight. I think it might go a little way. I don't. While obviously you know the uh, the betting lines will always give you uh, relatively short odds on a on a first round finish when it comes to a heavyweight fight. Both yeah. these guys are seasoned enough. That I think we could see this go past the first round, um, and to be honest, the longer the fight goes, I think the better the uh, the chances for Overeem. So we'll see how we'll see how that fight goes. We've got Fabrizio Werdum versus Travis Brown as the co-main. Brown is stepping in to replace Ben Rothwell, who was due to have that fight. Um, but the fight that we wanted to talk about, Sandu, obviously is yes. is one that. It's kind of divided the fan base. It's split the fan base. CM Punk versus Mickey Gall. Um He's in the UFC CM Punk. He has no amateur mixed martial arts experience. He has no professional mixed martial arts experience. He has no amateur combat sport experience of any kind. No collegiate wrestling experience. And yet, here he is... Um, in his late thirties, about to step into the octagon for the very first time on a UFC pay-per-view, third fight from the top of the card against, from what we've seen, a lively and quite dangerous up-and-coming prospect who himself is still pretty raw and pretty green in terms of Mickey Gall. CM Punk. First off, I, I'm I'm asking this question, but I know I know what you're going to say anyway. But for the benefit of the listeners, are you are you? Uh, Pro CM Punk in the UFC, or are you against CM Punk in the UFC?
1: Um, that's a good question. I think two years ago, when the UFC signed CM Punk, it was the right call at that particular moment in time for the UFC. And I think people need to remember because sometimes, um, you know, we forget very easily. Back in um, 2014, the UFC wasn't having the best of years. Um, there was fights falling out left, right, and center due to injuries. McGregor at the time hadn't really hit his stride yet um, in terms of being a big pay-per-view draw. Ronda Rousey was just turning the corner, I believe, at the time of becoming a, a massive superstar. So there was a lot going on in the UFC. Um, and at the time when they signed him, which was around November... I think it was, that's when the announcement was made, I believe, or late November, early December. December
0: 6th, it was, 2014. Right. It was all about
1: trying to create some buzz and momentum as they headed into the new year, heading into 2015, with a, with a you know, uplifting the, the UFC fan base by saying, look, you know, we've been here before with Brock Lesnar, we've brought a massive WWE star over, and it worked once. Um, Obviously, you know, everyone is aware that he has no, um, you know, combat sports background whatsoever but again just speaking from a promotional point of view i think they needed to kind of try and uh, bring somebody over that would initially just give a good injection of energy um, in terms of the outlook for the following year and i think had um, cm punk fought within the first year of being signed he would have been able to carry the buzz and the momentum and the hype that his announcement first generated Now that we're coming up to almost two years, and this was going to be one of my questions to you, Sai, I personally haven't really felt the buzz for CM Punk's involvement in this card. I thought uh, I was involved in the media conference call um, before I headed off to Venice um, last week. It was on Thursday night. And I thought that the, the exchange that Punk had with Gaul um in the conference call was interesting i thought that cm punk turned it up a notch i'd say i'd say it was maybe maybe a seven but it certainly wasn't a 10 or 11 or a 12 you know what i mean um and i'm so and again we're we're recording this podcast on a monday and and it remains to be seen what fight week gives us and, and we saw with ufc 202 you know, you know, there wasn't too much buzz, or there wasn't as much buzz as people were expecting for the Diaz McGregor rematch. And then fight week happened, and all hell broke loose, and you know that you know changed the entire outlook or the the anticipation for the fight itself. But going back to your initial question, before I ask you uh, or get your take on on the actual buzz for this particular fight, two years ago I was definitely pro and for the UFC making the decision to have CM Punk. Now 2 years later I think that, that things have changed and I'm and I'm not really looking forward to it. I I'm actually worried to see what kind of um, uh, performance and reaction CM punk's going to you know, get on Saturday night because I think Mickey Gall's going to take, you know, you know, make quite light work of him to be honest with you. And I, and I think the only kind of saving grace in this situation might be the fact that Mickey Gall is more of a, a grappler, jujitsu practitioner type of fighter rather than coming from a, a K-1 kickboxing or some sort of striking background. Um, because at 38 years of age, I'm sure CM Punk, he's got a history of, of concussions, with you know doing what he did for the WWE. Um, so I am actually genuinely worried and concerned for his health. Not to mention, obviously, what this means for perhaps the purists out there who just simply want to see the best fight the best. And when you think of the UFC, you ultimately think of best mixed martial artists in the world. CM Punk is not one of the best mixed martial artists in the world. He's got name value. He'll definitely you know, bring some eyeballs over from the pro wrestling community, which will definitely give the pay-per-view numbers a bit of a boost. How much of a boost compared to two years ago remains to be seen, um, but that's my take on it. But, yeah, Sai, in terms of buzz, um, and then obviously giving your take in regards to what you think about CM Punk and whether this is the right or wrong call from the UFC and w- whether you personally... Would like to see this um, happen again in the future? What's your take on everything?
0: My take on it is: is the UFC is the gold standard when it comes to multidiscipline combat, uh, combat. Ah, oh, can't even speak combat sport. And CM Punk, if we're being brutally honest, has absolutely no business being on a main card of a UFC pay per view because he's never fought. He's never fought. He's got no combat experience whatsoever. Now, what he is is a name, and I, while I understand there is a certain amount of, um, you know, there's this kind of a showbiz thing. there's you know, it's 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 uh, it's entertainment as well as sport. But the you know, the waters have been muddied significantly by this. What I would say is that I respect the hell out of CM Punk for doing or trying to do what he's trying to do. Um, mm. I think uh, he personally he's treating the sport itself with, with, with the respect it deserves. The way he's going about it, he's, he's treating it with the respect that, that it deserves. Personally, if this fight was the featured fight past prelim, I think I think that would make a whole load of sense. He wants to give it a go, stick him in a in a featured fight past prelim spot. Um I think that makes a lot more sense. The fact he's in the main card of a pay per view it's a bit of a cash grab from the UFC, um, and Th-
1: then again, sir, so, we don't really know the terms of the deal. That might have been um, something that CM Punk asked for, knowing how much of a draw he is in the pay-per-view market. So that may have been something that he said, "Say, listen, if I'm fighting for you guys, I want to have a slot on a main card where I can cash in on pay-per-view points."
0: I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Um, but what I'm saying is, if we're being if we're being real about it, um, if we're gonna even say that CM Punk deserves a go in the UFC at all, and a large number of people would say he doesn't, Sure. if we accept the fact that he's here, then if it were me, I would I would want him in that featured Fight Pass spot because that then helps drive customers to Fight Pass, gets more people to sign up. The other benefit of that is, all the WWE fans who want to watch will then have to get Fight Pass. They're very familiar with the whole business model of something like Fight Pass because they're familiar with the WWE network um mm-hmm. and they're far more likely to hang around and check out check out what's what on there um and i think that, that that makes a lot of sense in terms of the fight itself i how how can you even pick this fight i mean one guy's fought before and we've watched it one guy's never fought we've watched cm punk in the documentary se- uh, series that's currently currently uh, being aired in the states and you can watch it on fight pass and on YouTube as well. It's called the evolution of punk. If you haven't watched it yet, please do check it out. It's uh, it's a very interesting, very well put together show. Um, but what we've seen, um, CM Punk does not look like a fighter at all. Um, and watching him in those sparring sessions, he doesn't look like a fighter at all. When I say he doesn't look like a fighter, he doesn't look like a professional fighter. He doesn't look like he knows how to throw a punch properly. Um, and uh, he certainly doesn't look like he knows how to stop himself from getting hit. So those two things are, are, are a sizable concern. But those those uh, those things those those clips that I saw were also from very early in his uh, training camp with uh, with, with, with Duke Rufus. So you'd like to think he'll have improved a lot. I'm really looking forward to seeing the open workouts this week. And mm. I hope I hope they have them. I hope they put that him. will be telling. That will I be hope they tell yeah. I hope they put him on them, and I want to see him. I want to see him in the open workouts more than any other fighter. I think uh, he's someone who we can read a bit more into it. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but asking me right now who's going to win, you know, Mickey Gould's going to win that fight. But unless CM Punk looks like an absolute world beater in the open workouts, I don't see why we wouldn't think anything but that. So um, Talking yeah. about
1: Wikipedia pages, you spoke about Alistair Overoom's Wikipedia page. You'd have to think that CM Punk's Wikipedia page is probably one of the most viewed ever. And he's fighting a guy at Mickey Gould that doesn't even have
0: a Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully he'll have one after this fight. So, But um, but yeah, So I'm, I'm interested to see how that one goes. Um, and also I'm interested to see how they promote CM Punk's second fight, if indeed there is one, if he gets his backside handed to him by Mickey Gould.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think regardless of what happens, we're going to I think CM Punk's going to fight one more time at least after this fight. I think if he loses, okay, fine, fair enough. He can work on something. I think the initial plan was always to try and get CM Punk to fight in Chicago. Uh, I'd imagine that that's a that's a major that would have been a major part of the conversation. Um, you know, he's obviously from Chicago and um, you know, some of the the most, you know, raucous and You know, wild crowds he ever drew whilst, you know, working for the WWE was in Chicago. So win or lose, I think we'll see him fight one more time. And I I, I think that'll probably be an event further down the line, uh, you know, in Chicago. Um, But listen, if he wins, that that may give him the confidence to try and maybe get, you know, one, two or three more fights. But I think we're right now, we've got to just assess how things go on Saturday night, baby steps, see what the reaction is from the crowd. Uh, from the fan base, from the media, what kind of performance he gives. And ultimately, if he comes away unscathed or with injuries, and obviously that's been a major part of his uh, his journey, just getting to this point to actually fight on Saturday night, it's been injury-laden, all sorts of injuries. So we'll see how his body holds together, um, and then we'll see you know what the future holds for him. But someone else that's had uh, and continues to grow a really good fan base, but has just come back from a little bit of a, a bump in the road um, with a loss in the middle of 2015 is Joanne Calderwood, Scotland's own JoJo Calderwood. Um, she's come back from that loss against Marina Moroza, and she got a, a couple of wins strung together versus Courtney Casey and Valu Latourno. And this has coincided with some of the time she spent at the TriStar Gym in Montreal, Quebec. And she's been there with a few other European fighters. And, you know, it seems to have done the trick. I think in her last couple of performances, she's been a lot more mature. and. Um, She's got a tough fight, um, and it's part of the main card offering on Saturday night at UFC 203. She's fighting Jessica Andrade, who's, you know been winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one, so she's also had an, an up-and-down experience uh, in the UFC. Um, but I think, you know, Joanne's been quite outspoken this year a little bit, uh, I remember seeing a post uh, last month where um, she wasn't able to uh, check in her luggage, um, and, you know, I think she kind of threw a bit of shade towards the UFC for not booking her a flight, which included, um, you know, checked in luggage. So she had to pay for that out of her own pocket. But, you know, that aside, you know, Joanne Calderwood, I think, is getting better as she moves moves forward. And I think this will be a good test to find out exactly where she's at. Um, I'm expecting her to win, um, which will make it, you know, three, three in a row. Um, you know, in a division that, you know, constantly needs, um, you know, contenders... Uh, for champion Joanna Jan-Jacek. Uh but hopefully this will be something that she can build on um, and maybe by the time she is ready for a title fight if it's not versus uh, Joanna Janjacek then who knows maybe it's for the inaugural flyweight title if the UFC you know actually you know brings that division and builds that um, in, in, within its uh, offering um, but what
0: do you think Sai? Joanna Joanne Calder looking good for you lately? Yeah, she 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 looked outstanding in that fight against Valerie Letourneau. Um That was at £125, as you say. Um, and, you know, she, she looked she looked really, really good in that fight. Letourneau, I think the £125 division is perfect for her, and I think it would be perfect for JoJo as well. And I think there's probably a few fighters in both the existing women's divisions, the 115 and the 135, who would settle at 125 and be quite happy there. And uh, I think Joanne's one of them. She put in a really, really good performance. Definitely the best performance of her UFC career. Um, following up, of course, on on probably the next best performance of her UFC career, which was against Courtney Casey in Glasgow last year. Um, Interested to see how this fight goes, though, because Jessica Andrade is is uh, is dangerous. She's dangerous. Mm. She's she, she's like a little pit bull. She's she's very, very powerful. And her win over Jessica Penne was a debut at 115 pounds. And uh, she she absolutely destroyed Jessica Panay, lit her up uh, in that fight. Looked very, very good indeed at UFC 199. I was there at that fight and I remember we were all wincing at Octagon side at some of those shots that she was landing. So I don't think that uh, JoJo Coldwood is going to have this all her own way. She's going to have to weather a storm. Um, but if she can give as good as she gets, particularly through the, the, the first round, I can see Andrade's pace beginning to drop as the fight goes on, and that's where I think if JoJo can hang around and stay in the fight, then I think she will take over in the second and third rounds. It's that first round I'm expecting a lot of action in that first round. So I think as long as JoJo steps in there, knowing that um, she's gonna, you know, she's gonna have to face a storm in that first five minutes, uh, and she's prepared for that. I think she's got what it takes to go on and win that fight. But there's always the danger against someone like Andraj. That um, you can get overwhelmed early on. So I'm really looking forward to the fight. I think it's going to be one of the one of the most exciting fights of the night because both those girls love to stand and throw leather. And uh, you know, Joe Calderwood certainly isn't one for taking a backward step in her fights. She, you, she actually thrives when when you know when the fights get really tough. So uh, I think I think this could be the making of her. If she can get through this fight, I think people will start talking about her as a as a bona fide contender for that 115 pound title. And uh, it would be great news for the UK and certainly for Scotland if uh, if they got themselves a world title challenger. Imagine that, Giovanni and Jacek versus uh, uh, Joanne Calderwood in Glasgow. Could you imagine that? That would be pretty fantastic, especially with how I think I don't know
1: why, but it seems this year more than any other year, the UFC have been a lot more friendly with regards to, or more a lot more giving, should I say, with regards to allowing fighters can um, kind I of get more hometown fights you see it with bisping you saw it with redoom in Brazil um, you're seeing it um with uh Miochich in Cleveland um so yeah absolutely you know um if Joanne Cor can get through this fight who knows maybe even a, a, another cheeky fight on the Belfast card to to round out the year um yeah I think the, the momentum is being built she's rounding out her skill set as a fighter getting better as she gets um, you know, further into her mixed martial arts career, obviously coming from a uh, kickboxing background, uh, Thai background, Thai fighting background, there was always going to be an adjustment period. But I think she's finally finding her feet in mixed martial arts, and I think the best of her is yet to
0: come. Totally agree. Totally agree. Before we uh, move on to, uh, to, our, to our listeners' questions, I do just want to very quickly uh, mention one other fight that's on that main card. And probably the one fight I'm looking forward to the most and that's the bantamweight scrap between Uriah Faber and Jimmy Rivera. Faber has been in and around this sport forever. He, he's he's the uh, the father figure of the bantamweight division. Former WEC featherweight champion, of course. Um, he's taking on Jimmy Rivera, who I believe is going to be a future world championship contender in that division. Uh, and I have a feeling we might see the torch passed on that in, in in that fight. I think Jimmy Rivera is on the verge of scoring the biggest win. Of his mixed martial arts career, uh, trains out of Tiger Shulman's in New York. Top guy. Um, he was in uh, he was in uh, the Ultimate Fighter uh, a couple of years ago. Um, thought his chance had gone, um, and then got called up. I remember that he, he told me the story about when he got called up. He was teaching uh, a class full of kids. He, he, he teaches uh, martial arts classes at that gym in in New York, and uh, it was his birthday, and he was teaching teaching uh, a kids class. And uh, his family came in, uh, along with his manager, and broke the news to him in front of all the kids that had just been signed signed to fight for the UFC. And uh, he hasn't looked back since. He's been he's been in outstanding form throughout his UFC career. He's got himself a fight with Uri Faber, and I I see him doing it. I mean, he's got probably, and I don't know this officially, but he must have one of the longest active winning streaks in the UFC. Um, we're talking we're talking eighteen fights, seventeen fight win streak he's 19 and 1. It's an 18 fight win streak. He's 19 and 1. And he hasn't lost since his second pro fight back in 2008. And uh he's he he looks he looks a real talent in that 135 pound division. I'm really looking forward to seeing that fight.
1: Yeah, and like you said, site, he's got this amazing win streak, but he needs a name. And getting a win over Uriah Faber definitely gets gets him that big name victory. Faber's obviously coming off the trilogy fight with Dominic Cruz, but I'll, I'll give Faber a lot of credit. I mean, accepting a fight like this, if he gets a win over Rivera, that still, you know, keeps him in the mix. So it's, it's just crazy to even say that at his age. But if he can keep winning fights, you know, get, you know, he he gets a title fight, he loses, and then next thing you know, he's got three or four, you know, you know, really stellar wins put together over some really good fighters, top five, top ten fighters. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I do agree. I think with the, you know, this could be the, the passing of the torch moment, so to speak. Um, but listen, Faber's no joke. Um, he's pretty much only been bested by the likes of Dominic Cruz, Joe De Aldo. Really, the, the, some of the best fighters the sport's ever produced, especially the the lighter weight classes. Um, so who knows? Maybe a win over Rivera might set up the TJ Dillashaw fight. To be honest with you, I think win or lose, I think the T.J. Dillashaw fight is going to happen sooner or later. I think there's too much money on the table, given their history and their rivalry and uh, the beef between them, for them not to do that fight. Um, but for for Rivera, yeah, I remember getting a chance to kind of cover his fight, week, you know, in Glasgow last year, and uh, he was a good interview. And like you said, his 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 record is impeccable. He looks better and better every time he comes out. Uh, And this will be a big moment, massive stage. It's a main card of a UFC pay-per-view. It's the very first UFC pay-per-view he's been a part of. And to get a a victory over Uriah Faber will definitely be putting a statement on the division.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing that fight. And on the topic of Uriah Faber, and as I say, this is the Brit Pack. Um, One day, before both these guys hang up their gloves, please, please somebody book Uriah Faber versus Brad Pickett. I would love to watch that fight. That would be that would be, uh, I think, an absolute barn burner of a fight uh, for either or both of those guys to see out their career. Um, maybe maybe in 2017. Maybe if the UFC comes to London in 2017, that would be that would just be an outstanding fight. If I was matchmaking that card, and who knows, maybe I'll maybe I'll do a little video blog at some point and and sort of try and do that. I did it last time. So maybe I'll do that, but I'll tell you now that'll be one of the fights on my card. I'd love to see that matchup one day.
1: Maybe put your request into Joe Silva before he calls it a day and rides off into the sunset at the end of the year.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's a guy who deserves deserves the you know the best send off possible. Um, it's been covered extensively everywhere else, but of all of the people on the UFC staff, um, you know, there's going to be people that are missed when they when they leave few people will be missed as much as Joe Silver is missed. And he might not be the most uh, the most publicly recognizable figure, um, but people within the sport know just how influential this guy's been. And he's been there from, from the very beginning almost. And, uh, yeah, he's decided to take his retirement um, and uh, all the very best to him. I mean, one of the reasons why the UFC is as big as it is is because of him, because he's the guy who's making the fights. And uh, whoever whoever they... Uh, choose to replace him. I suspect it will be a number of people. They've got a big, big set of shoes to fill. So uh, all the best to him in his retirement.
1: Yeah, I mean, we weren't going to cover it because it wasn't on the schedule, but since you brought it up, um, (laughs) I mean, I've got a a, a nice idea in regards to what they could potentially do um, with the matchmaking situation. I'm going to throw it out there, maybe get your take on this side, but I was thinking perhaps let Sean Shelby just take over the entire men's roster let go of the of the of the women's roster you bring over julie kedzie who's the matchmaker for invicta obviously you know her job is to know all the up-and-coming female fighters out there in various weight classes um she knows uh, the women better than anyone else probably and maybe perhaps let her almost have a dual role where i don't know if there's a, a conflict of interest there at all but being a matchmaker for invicta and the ufc but there's clearly a relationship between the two promotions. Maybe bring over Julie Kezzi, let her look after um, the the female weight classes in the UFC as well as her role for Invicta, uh, and that might be the best way of uh, of moving forward without rocking the boat too much with a completely fresh face to maybe perhaps look after the men's divisions. I mean, again, th- you know, matchmakers aren't growing on trees left, right, and center, um, and it's hard to get the the experience and the relationship with fighters and managers and agents and so forth. Um, but just from the top of your head, really quickly, because si, I know we weren't going to really talk about this too much in depth, but if you're the UFC with Joe Silva leaving, what would be the best move to sit, to kind of sort out the matchmaking
0: situation at the moment? I think you, you, you put together a matchmaking committee. I think, uh, I think you have, obviously you'd have Sean Shelby in there. You'd have Dana White on, uh, on, on that panel as well. And I think you get some senior retired fighters on there, guys who, who know the sport, um, you know, guys who've moved into the analysis uh world, your Brian Stans, your Dan Hardy's, people like that, uh Kenny Florian maybe. The peop uh, people who whose job is now to watch and assess these guys. I would I would get those guys involved. Um and uh maybe, you know, Sean Shelby becomes the sort of the director, the overseer of that committee if you like. But then I I think to be honest, I think you need you need to have you need to have a, a group of people doing it. Um, and then it covers all bases, and uh, I think I think that makes the most sense. And it also takes the focus off any one person, because um, it's it, it's such a high pressure job to do. And unless you've got someone who is clearly the number one guy in the world at it, and they want to do it, then it's a hard thing to do. So the best thing to do is just have have this uh, have this think tank of some of the best the best minds within within the sport, people who've got practical experience, not only fighting, but also watching and analyzing fights. Uh, and also someone who's in sort of dealing with all of that sort of thing. So that's what I would do. Um, it'd be interesting to see what they do. Um, but, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll get sorted out sooner rather than later. Well,
1: speaking of the unknown, we have some unknown questions, uh, and they want answers, Sai, <laughs> That was very yeah, slick uh, by the way. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> We've had a lot of our listeners uh, tweet us, and uh, me and Simon really, guys, greatly appreciate it. You don't have to tweet us on the day that we record the podcast. If you want to tweet us throughout the week, if something you know comes to mind, drop us a tweet. I'll give it a like from our Britpack MMA Twitter handle um, so it's kind of on our agenda to discuss on the show. So here we go. Um, we're going to start with some questions now, and the first one comes in from Lou Blackman, who says, is the co-main for UFC 204 set as Belfort versus Masasi. So we're about a month away, Si. And as far as I can tell, I think that is going to be our co-main unless the UFC throw a curveball and announce another big, big fight that can take the the status of a co-main event, so to speak. But what do you think? Are we, is, is that set from what you're
0: hearing, Si, belfort Masasi co-main event? I think that's the most likely thing. I think what they tend to do, they announce the main event and then they announce other fights. And they only ever confirm, or in, in most cases, they, they only tend to confirm the co-main event once the card is set. So it allows them a bit of breathing room. Another fight might become available that they weren't expecting. Or people might drop off the card. So they're certainly looking at the list of fights we have now. That is the obvious co-main event. And I know, um, I think the common, the common consensus is that that will be the co-main event. If the UFC suddenly produce another fight, that trumps Musassi versus Belfort, then happy days, right? We're going to get another great fight on the card. Um, but I, 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 I do think we're probably going to get at least one more uh, added to that card, but I would assume it would be not a co-main event fight. I think it might be something a bit lower down, but I think I think that's probably going to be a co-main event. But we never know. Until they, until they say, this is our confirmed lineup. up um, it's still up in the air. But right now, I'd say, yeah.
1: That's our kind of main event. Bobby Coyce tweets in and says, what is your realistic bet for the UFC 205 main event and who do you expect on the card? Well, I think we could spend an entire <laughs> uh, show discussing which kind of fights we could you know, put on, uh, on the main card, at least for New York. But let's stick to the first part of the question, Side UFC 205 main event, my bet is on Conor McGregor fighting Eddie Alvarez for the lightweight championship champion versus champion madison square garden i think that makes all the sense in the world you've got the irish contingent not just from ireland but also from uh from from the new york area itself eddie alvarez and his whole team and camp of uh, uh of italians um and uh, the frankie edgar uh fan base which is ba- basically an eddie alvarez um fan base as well will, will be in their droves in new york even though eddie alvarez is from philadelphia it's not far from New York at all. But I think a champion versus champion main event is the right way to go for your very first UFC main event in Madison Square Garden.
0: Am I right, or am I wrong? No, you're right. You're right. That would be, that would be my pick. Uh, it was my pick immediately after UFC 202. Um, the only other one that I can see uh, jumping in there and potentially taking over from that, if there are any issues that mean that McGregor can't fight on that card, the obvious the obvious fight to have at the top of that card in place of that would be Daniel Cormier versus Anthony Ramble Johnson um, but I have a feeling they're going to do that in Toronto so that's um, that I'm, I'm basically on the same page as you I think I think Connor versus or Eddie Alvarez versus Conor McGregor is is the fight to make and I really do hope that 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 fight gets done
1: we've got our first British champion Simon in the UFC in Michael account Bisping Hogan tweets in and says, who will be the second British UFC champion? I'll throw that to you first, I si.
0: Well, you never know. It could be Alistair Overeem. He fights Steve <laughs> Miochic <laughs> at the UFC 203. Um, <laughs> that's a very good question. And I think, you know, the honest answer is we just don't know. We've got such a... I think we're going to have a bit of a wait until we get another one. Um, looking at the developmental path of our British talent, um, we've got some guys who have been in the UFC a while. Um and that you know, they aren't quite at world championship level. And we've got a young crop coming up, you know, people like Arnold Allen. We'll learn a lot more about him uh when he takes on uh Mursa Bektik. If he gets past Mursab Bektik, I think it'll be time to start getting very excited about him. Um we've got Mark Diarcasey who has just joined the UFC. We don't know what the ceiling is for him yet. Certainly very, very exciting, but jumping in the shark tank that is hundred and fifty five pounds. Um, he's got he's got some choppy water to negotiate before he even hits the top 10, let alone starts being talked about as a championship contender. So it's really tough to see. I'll be honest with you, as things stand right now, it's almost impossible to say. Tom Breeze, obviously someone who we've earmarked as a potential threat at £170. He's had to go back to the drawing board a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back from that loss to uh, Sean Strickland. It really is wide open. Um, right now, if you want to, if you want to be uh, a little bit cheeky and you want to be a little bit off the wall, um, then here's an answer for you. Michael Venom Page will be the next British UFC champion. There you go. I'll leave that one with you. I like, I like way ahead of that. Um, I think I, I always thought that Joanne Calderwood,
1: um, when I first saw her fight had what it took to kind of get to championship level. I think she's well on her way, especially after her last couple of performances. Now, whether that in the next year to 18 months to maybe two years the UFC introduces a flyweight female division, I think you'll have to, you know, as long as Joanne obviously keeps winning, you'd like to think that they'd put her in the inaugural kind of title fight against somebody else um, that can either drop down from bantamweight or or pop up from strawweight. Um, But who knows? If you can get a couple of more wins together um, at the at the strawweight division, then Yonayan Chick versus Joanne Calderwood, uh, or whoever is champion, I'm sure Marina Moroz will have something to say about that at the time. But I think even with any mixture of the of the two, with Joanne Calderwood versus Yonayan Chick or Marina Moroz, oh sorry, not Marina Moroz, I meant to say Karina Kalkevich. What you've got there are three girls who come from a very disciplined uh, thai fighting background and I, and I think they'll you know fancy themselves um getting the better of the of the of the fighting exchange on their feet so um but yeah I mean if you're gonna put a gun to my head i'll just i'll pick joanne calderwood and and speaking of the women's division the i think this is a pretty good account to follow actually it's the 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 w m a world underscore u k Twitter account, which is basically women's... It's a women's MMA-dedicated Twitter account. And they've tweeted in and asked us, Sai, when will the UFC introduce the featherweight division? It doesn't make sense for Chris Cyborg to make 140. We've spoken about this before, si. Um It's good that the UFC is utilising Chris Cyborg um, for their events. Uh, she's definitely a draw. That's a proven fact at this stage. But it's horrible to make her continue to cut to 140. With, there was that uh, video... That was released recently for, from an upcoming documentary, a teaser trailer, so to speak, which just showed how much of a hard cut that was, and she was literally in tears, and you don't want to see that, especially with fighter safety being such a hot topic, and you know the, the you know the UFC you know basically adopting the early weigh-ins now globally uh, from the athletic state commissions uh, over in the US. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wish, I really hope that the UFC sooner or later just Create a women's division for cyborg. Create 145. You've got a dominant champion you can use as a draw. Put her on top of pay-per-view cards and cash in the money. It just it just doesn't make any sense for for them to keep using her at 140. Am I right or am I wrong?
0: You're right. But what I would say is I don't think we're going to see it for a while. I think we're I think we're more likely to see a 125 pound division first. I think mm. I think that from a business point of view, uh, to me, makes a lot more sense. Now, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't hold featherweight fights. I think if Cyborg is in the UFC and Cyborg clearly can't healthily make £135, she shouldn't be made to make £135. She will just have to basically do what Conor McGregor has been doing for the past year and take money fights, have people come up to her weight and fight her. Um... If people, you know, providing they can find people to fight her at 145 or if she can fight healthily at 140, have a fight Holly Holm, have a fight Jermaine Durandamy, have a fight these people, Um, but have them as a showcase rather than, you know, they don't, she doesn't have to sit within a championship structure. Um, You know, the UFC have signed CM Punk and stuck him in at welterweight. He's not going to even come within a million miles of the welterweight top 15. But they're still putting his fights on the main card of a pay-per-view. Why are they doing that? Because the fans are going to want to watch it. And the fans are going to want to watch Chris Cyborg fight. She's probably one of the top five or top ten biggest stars in the UFC. It makes no sense for them to not allow her to, to actually fight at a healthy weight. Now, if that doesn't fit within their usual weight categories, then who cares, right? Just find out what what weight she can f- safely fight at, and put her in fights at that weight class, and um, make it happen. And then over time, over time, eventually they'll hopefully bring in 145 pounds. But um, it's something that's going to take a bit of time. I think, as I say, I think we're going to see 125 pounds introduced to the UFC before 145. Uh, I just think that makes a bit more sense. And from what I understand, I don't think we're going to see £125 pounds for a little while either, I think. Probably we might have to wait until next summer or beyond before we even see that. So um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be holding her breath on the £145 pound division, but I do think she should be allowed to fight at £145, pounds, if that makes sense. It does, certainly. Daryl Chumbly tweets in, given the state of the
1: heavyweight division... Is a mini-tournament a viable choice with Rumble, John Jones, Bader, and Gustafsson to decide a title shot? I don't think so. I mean, um, the middleweight division definitely has um, the right uh, criteria and the available fighters for a, a middleweight tournament, so to speak, with Rockhold, Jacare, Romero, and Weidman. But I think with light heavyweight, let Rumble and let John Jones, um, sorry, DC, have their fight and then you have John Jones obviously waiting to find out what happens with his situation. And then if he's available to fight in the next six months, I think you make the Gustafsson fight in Toronto. If he's gonna get a lengthier suspension, whether it's nine months, whether it's a year, then I think you put Gus in there with Bader. What do you think, Cy? Si?
0: Yeah, I mean we spoke about it earlier on in the show, didn't we? And um yeah. I think I think that is that that is exactly what you do. I mean it isn't a tournament in the truest sense, but at the end of the day you win fights, you move forward. And uh, in that, I think if John Jones isn't going to be in a title fight, and in my opinion, he doesn't deserve to be in a title fight right now, Anthony Johnson deserves it more. I think you do the Johnson Cormier fight. If Jones is available within a reasonable time frame, then you do him versus the next guy. And the next guy is uh, it's either Ryan Bader or Alexander Gustafsson. I will give it to Gustafsson. Um, and if Jones isn't available, then Bader's next. Um, I said earlier that Bader's been harshly dealt with, and I'm dealing with him harshly again. So apologies, Ryan, if you're listening. But he a, I, I think. I think he deserves a go. Uh, I think Alexander Gustafsson versus Jones is a is a an obvious fight to make, and I think it would be it would be almost almost negligent if the fight didn't get made if Jones was available. I think that fight absolutely has to be made, and putting it on in Toronto, um, as you as you pointed out is such a no-brainer of a decision. I would be absolutely shocked if that fight wasn't made for Toronto, if indeed Jones is available for it.
1: MMA Goldfish tweets in and says, why in the last 20 years have there been so few heavyweight contenders come through the ranks? Oh, that's a bit of a head scratch. I mean, I think for a long time, Sai, we saw, I think through The Ultimate Fighter and some other outlets, we saw a lot of, especially on the on the American side, a lot of ex NFL players and other um, you know big men from other sports backgrounds come in you know and uh, and you know try their hand at MMA and i think now we're getting um you know guys that are actually tra- training MMA from day one you know you know looking at their physique and seeing what they can do but um i mean that's a bit of a tricky one i mean i think if you look at the top 10 or the top 15 of the UFC's heavyweight division i mean I'm looking at the the heavyweight rankings right now. Vadum, Velasquez, Overeem, JDS, Ben Rothwell, Olofsky, Brown, Mark Hunt, Josh Barnett, and Derek Lewis. That's the top ten. And out of the top ten, you can only probably say that Derek Lewis is the one. In the last, I'd say, year to eighteen months, uh, with his performances and his excellent social media performances, <laughs> uh, has has really kind of like made some noise and broken through um, as a as an up and coming contender. Uh, but I mean, what do you think? Are there 20, 25, 28, 29-year-old 20, guys out there in the heavyweight division? Do you think that are making that can make their way to the UFC, or what is the unknown ingredient as to why we don't see upcoming fighters at a younger age in the heavyweight division come through?
0: I think you have to cut. You have to sort of step back and look wider within within the realm of of combat sport. Look at heavyweight boxing. There aren't there aren't that many outstanding sort of elite-level athletes in top-level heavyweight boxing anymore. So, you know, there's been a real malaise when it comes to heavyweight boxing. You know, we also had the golden era of uh, sort of Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, and Ken Norton, and people like this. Um, and then we had the Mike Tyson era, and he was beating some good guys at the top back then. Um, and it's kind of, you know, Lennox Lewis we had for a while. And, we, you know, we had the Klitschko, who were both you know, we're both elite level guys but they're basically beating beating very average opposition and we have seen a lack of of heavyweight talent in in boxing and in MMA. The guys, as you say at the top of that division, the guys that have been there and have been around for a while. Um I do think what we're gonna start to see is uh an increase in uh wrestlers coming across, like heavyweight wrestlers, I think I know. I think the UFC have signed one or two uh, Russian or uh, Eastern European Olympic level wrestlers, and I think they're going to be coming across to the UFC soon. And I think we might start to see a few more, a few more of those. Um, someone who I'm I'm interested in seeing his career progression is Chai Lewis Perry. Again, you know, British, British name yep. on the on 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 the Brit Pack. Big, strong kickboxer with legitimate one punch knockout power. But this isn't one punch knockout power with four ounce gloves on. This is one punch knockout power with those great big heavy uh glory uh kickboxing gloves on. And I know he's training over at AKA or he has been training over at AKA with mm-hmm. Daniel Cormier, Luke Rockhold and um Kane Velasquez. And I think he's considering it. And and if he ever does eventually decide to take the plunge and join and join uh, whether it be Bellator or whether it be the UFC. In in many respects, Bellator might be a better fit, a better fit for him because it it allows him to still kickbox if, if he wants to under the Bellator kickboxing brand. But if he wants to go all in on MMA and he finds himself in the UFC, then that's that you know that's a real talent we can get behind and uh, something I'd love to see in the years to come. I actually spoke to
1: Chai Lewis Perry uh, in the build up to UFC 200 because obviously. Um, he was a part of the Daniel Cormier camp in profession for Jon Jones and there was a lot of back and forth between Charlie Lewis Parry and Jon Jones in the build up to that particular fight as well Um, he's fighting for glory and he's a part of their super fight series which is airing on UFC Fight Pass Um, and he tells me that his kind of overall game plan for the next 12 months is to maybe get two or three more fights for glory and then he wants to sign to the UFC and he even went as far as to tell me that there's been some dialogue there with the UFC to kind of make that transition over. So I would be surprised if in 2017 you see Chai Lewis Parrot become the latest addition to the UFC heavyweight roster. If that happens, that will be fantastic, especially for
0: the Brit Pack. Oh yeah, absolutely, and uh, very very quick aside. You mentioned Chai Lewis Parrot UFC 200. He watched that Daniel Cormier fight, sat and right next to me on press row. Uh, security tried to remove him from octagon side because he didn't have anywhere to sit and I had a spare seat next to me on press row so I shouted over to him and said I've got a spare seat comes sit here so I had a I had a I had a direct commentary of everything that was going on as a child was bellowing instructions to DC from press row it was kind of funny but uh, yeah he's 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 and also he's a big character as well people will love him in the ufc no doubt about it
1: gi tweets in and says hi guys who would win in a Nando's eating contest, Sai or Sandu? Now, let me jump in.
0: Let me jump in. This is a okay, non-question. Go on, go on. This, is, this is a non-question. This is this is this is like this is like who wins? You know, Frankie Edgar or Cain Velasquez, right? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't stand a chance. I don't stand a chance. For the people listening, the the way Sandu just arranges his plate at Nando's is, is a sight to behold. Like just just the sauce. It's I, 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 words cannot cannot quite explain it. One day I will video it and put it on Twitter, and then you you know you'll all be amazed not only at how he eats his how he eats his Nandos, but you know what it must do to his insides is is, is it doesn't bear thinking about it. it really doesn't. Nandos wins by first round knockout. Oh sorry Sando's sorry, like- Sandu wins by first round knockout at Nandos.
1: Nando's is like my gummy berry juice for some of our elder listeners who may have watched the gummy bears growing up in the 80s. But it, what, what this question did remind me of is um, uh, the, we had a question, I think it was last, last episode, about Nando's, this is Buffalo Wild Wings. And I know that you guys discussed it on the, uh, on the MMA Roadshow. It may have come up. We did. And I, and I think I wanted to just kind of clarify my stance on things because I think the question last time, uh, and I, obviously you can tell we're getting now to the really important question on this week's uh, <laughs> the, show. The burning um, issues, yeah. Yeah, the burning issues. The question last week was, what's better, buffalo, wild wings or Nando's? And I said Nando's and you said buffalo, wild wings. And I, and I didn't get a chance to rebuttal that. And I, and essentially what I wanted to say was this. I thought the question was in reference to the actual food. Now, if it's talking about um, a, a plate versus plate, I think Nando's wipes the floor with anything that Buffalo Wild Wing has to offer on their menu, but with regards to actual atmosphere, being in an environment with TV screens all around you and all sorts of beer on tap, then yes, I definitely agree with you and John Morgan. Buffalo Wild Wings is the place to be. Um, but I think this was going to be an ongoing conversation, and perhaps we can pick this up again in Manchester when the three of us are going to be um, at Nando's. At, at Nando's, <laughs> uh, and, and perhaps we can debate this further. But uh, but yeah. Uh, who would win a Nando's eating contest listen, um, put a full platter in front of me and I'll I'll clean it up in 10 minutes, I inhale my food, I'm a very fast eater so so yeah, but that does segue into our last question of the week and that is, could we see uh, Simon uh, both Hendo and Bisping retire after UFC 204 if Hendo wins and that comes from Keith Boyston I'll throw that to you first of all. So, what do you think? If if Hendo wins, do we see both him walk off into sunset and Michael Bisping hang hang up his gloves?
0: That's an outstanding question. Uh, I hadn't considered that possibility. It could happen, I suppose. I spoke to Bisping in uh, in Vegas um, ahead of his press conference with Hendo at UFC 202, and I asked him what the end game was for him, and um, he said he wants to make three title defenses and then hang his gloves up. So he wants Henderson as number one. Uh, probably Rockhold or Weidman's number two. And then whoever, you know, whoever's top at the time as number three. So, well, you know, Jacare or whoever. So that's his, that's his mindset. So, you know, retirement is in his head. He knows he's sort of looking, you know, looking towards that. Um, If he were to lose, would that change? Quite possibly, because if he loses, and certainly, if he's going to lose to Hendo, he's not going to lose a decision. Let's be honest. Uh, I don't see any. I don't see any scenario where he loses a decision to Dan Henderson. So, if he mm-hmm. loses to Henderson, he's going to lose by knockout. Um, mm-hmm. That's the only. That you know that for me is the only scenario you can realistically cook up in your brain for Dan Henderson to win that fight, and that's by knockout. So, if he loses by knockout to Dan Henderson, he will not be getting an immediate title shot back. That then means that. You know he's at least at least two fights from from you know realistically holding the UFC title again, probably more because of the state of the division and the fact that so many title contenders knocking around. So quite possibly, if he loses, he might consider retirement. Who knows? Um, it's a really interesting question, and I'm, I'm sort of thinking about it as I'm answering. But could it happen? Yeah, I think it could. I think it could. I think with a burgeoning Hollywood career
1: as well, he's now got extra you know, revenue streams that he perhaps didn't have a couple of years ago. And with obviously the, the resources the new owners have in WME, IMG of the UFC, big strong links in the world of film and television in Hollywood. I'm sure he's you know, speaking to the right people and you know, getting the right uh, roles. And you know, that's obviously something he's got an eye on uh, in terms of his long-term career once uh, he hangs it up uh, in mixed martial arts. I still think that even if he was to lose, I think there's a couple of factors that play play into my thinking of, of of him perhaps not calling it a de- uh, calling it quit straight away. Um, first of all, I still think he's just far too important um, for the UFC's um, position in the UK. Um, champion or no champion, Michael Bisping has been the poster boy uh, for the UK market for well over a decade now, um, and I still think um, some of the other Brits. Um, in the UFC roster have a bit of work to do to kind of build up their name and, um, and almost, you know, um, take over that role that Michael Bisping, um, you know, he's been carrying for such a long time. So he's, he's very important to the UK market. But also, I just think that in terms of just, just flat-out business, I think there's just too many money fights still out there left for Bisping. Uh, you, you mentioned one already, uh, which is the Rockhold rematch. I think there's a there's a Vitor Belfort rematch that could do really well for him. Um, I'm sure he's been bumped up in terms of his contract already uh, since he's become champion. Um, so, I mean, if he mentioned to you he'd like to get three title defences, even if he loses to Dan Henderson, I think there could be three big money fights anyway for him. Um, so I'm leaning towards perhaps him um, not quitting uh, the sport if he loses. Um, and yeah, and that is basically... Our last question, Si, and, and I think we're now in a new territory, in new waters. I think this is our longest show ever. And it's funny because I think you and me were both pretty exhausted from our travels over the course of the last three or four days. And we thought this might be a, a bit of a quicker show and try and get it wrapped up in an hour. I think this is going to be uh, a little bit longer than an hour, uh, but Hey, listeners, let us know if you think um, me and Simon are rambling on a little bit too long with these shows. Yeah, we give are us some feedback. <laughs> let us know. If you'd like, uh, like our shows to be a little bit shorter, snappier to the point, point. Um, if that's what you want to uh, get out of the MMA uh, or the Brit Pack um, podcast on a weekly basis, then let us know. If you like it for, to be longer, you want to hear more thoughts and opinions from Simon and myself, let us know. If that's what you want, we will deliver. But for as far as uh, the questions and, and uh, what we have on the table and on the agenda and on the menu this week, so I think that's a wrap. It
0: is. Also, I'd love to know how you guys are there actually listen to the show and where you listen to the show. Uh, Do you listen on SoundCloud? Do you listen on Stitcher, Acast, uh, iTunes? Let us know how you consume the show and where you do it. Do you do it when when you go into the gym or do you do it on your commute or do you do it? Do you use it? Do you use the soothing voice? Of Shamakar Sandu and Simon Head uh. to help you fall asleep at night. We need to know all this. This is all good audience research for the Brit Pack. So, chuck us a tweet and let us know uh, how how you enjoy the show and anything in particular that you'd like to you'd like to hear on future shows. You can do that by tweeting us at the Brit Pack MMA. Uh, you can also tweet us directly if you so wish at Sandu MMA for uh, Mr. Shamakar Sandu at Simon Head for me. Uh, and listening to the show. Uh, I'm sure that you know, as you're listening now, you've got a good idea uh, how to listen to it. But there are multitude uh, ways of listening to it. You can listen to it via our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com/slash the You can listen to us via Stitcher. Search for the Brit Pack on there. We are also available on ACAST. Search ACAST for the Brit Pack. Uh, there are also, of course, we're on iTunes. Naturally, we're on iTunes. Search for us on there. Uh, and if you feel like dropping a review on there and uh, giving us the big ups, then that would be that would be fantastic as well. We're still very new, so we're trying to trying to build our presence. Any kind of positive review you can stick on there for us would obviously be hugely appreciated as we look to help this thing grow and grow as the weeks go on. That I think is pretty much all we have on this show. We said, we, well, you know, we might make this a quick one, half hour, forty-five minutes. I reckon we've nearly done two hours. So yeah. so. On that note, we will say thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the fights at UFC 203 this weekend. Uh, Think up whatever questions you want for us next week. Get them in nice and early. We do make sure that we have all the best ones written down for the show. Uh, Enjoy the fights, and we will speak to you again next month.